Welcome to Unlimited Partners, a podcast on partnership. I'm your host, Thomas McGannon. I'm an investor on a journey to understand what makes great partnerships. This podcast is my way of recording that process and sharing it. A few months ago, I heard Balaji Srinivasan make the comment that money is cheap and status is scarce. And that really resonated with me. A few months later, as we're recording this now, money is no longer as cheap and abundant as it was at the time of that comment, but I still very much believe that status is scarce. And in my job as an investor, I'm, I'm looking for scarce assets. I'm looking for situations where there is an unfair right to earn excess return. And so that fundamentally is about having access to scarce, hard to replicate assets. And so it can be access to low cost inputs. It could be a, a, a competitive advantage, perhaps around, around talent. And so I remember a couple of years ago when I read the book, Who is Michael Ovitz? And I heard the story of CAA. The way that they built that business at a layer of of talent aggregation in an industry where talent was the scarce and finite resource, that was a very kind of interesting mental model for me to think about what kinds of businesses, what kinds of investing would would allow the, the investor and the manager and the entrepreneur to identify and capture like durable excess returns. And so if I think about this notion that status is scarce, what does that mean? It means that humans are very mimetic. And so if I have an investment thesis that is predicated on humans continuing to be more mimetic and continuing to find ways of connecting with their tribe via the internet. A company that, that is effectively in the business of managing scarce talent-driven resources and then connecting that talent in the context of an investment with a company that the talent itself is very motivated to, to participate in at a financial and a personal level, like that concept of finding what is durably scarce and expensive and wrapping a fund around it, putting yourself in the position where you can co-invest with the likes of Sean White or Matthew McConaughey or Ellen DeGeneres or Prince Harry, um, that's a pretty cool investment proposition. And so Plus Capital was formed in 2012 by Adam Lilling. He didn't start with, here's my business, here's how I'm going to make money from this. He just went out into the market and genuinely asked, hey, this is an idea that I have. How can I add value to the personalities looking for investment and the companies that would be seeking those kinds of partnerships? I met Amanda Groves through a good friend of mine, Matt Morris. Matt is uh, a truly wonderful connector and investor. Uh, his younger brother, Ryan Morris, has been working at Plus Capital for a couple of, couple of years. And so when I was on the, the, the market looking for some new funds to partner with last year, and I met Ryan and, and, and had a conversation with Amanda, it was, it was something that I was, I was very excited about. Because last year, as an investor wading through all forms of mania and trying to discern like in what ways were we seeing durable paradigm shifts. The narrative that Plus was able to, to put together, this notion of connecting the world's uh, best athletes, the world's most influential um, actors and actresses and musicians, um, that felt like a pretty good uh, direction to steer towards in, a, in an environment where I wasn't certain that, you know, 
technology X or Y or, or net new Web3 market, this or that would would have a place in, in, the, in a post pandemic in the next stage of the cycle. And so when I when I was able to step back and think, well, I have a lot of confidence that people are continuing to be uh, driven by mimetic forces that they self-identify with on mostly kind of internet and technology rails. And I think the other thing that was really exciting to me about Amanda, uh, and and this comes through Ryan as well, is that when you when you meet them and and you and you start to ask questions about about their process and and, and the way that they've built this ship, um, it's really thoughtful. It's really high energy. It's really reflective to me that they get their product market fit very well with the personalities that they serve, and then they're able to distill that to core areas of interest, ways of engaging, and then actually go and proactively create partnership with the companies that they invest in. This has been evident to me in in my time getting to know them as, as an investor in their fund. I've found a lot of really interesting ways to be involved with Plus and then also to kind of seek out some strategic benefit to the rest of the investing that we're doing. This is a relationship in the context of a broader portfolio that I'm really happy to, to bring to the people that I work with. So Amanda is exceptionally kind, high energy, wicked smart, and I'm very excited to bring this conversation with Amanda Groves. Unlimited Partners is brought to you by Tegas. It's fair to say that I built my technology investing career on the Tegas platform. Since joining as a beta customer back in 2017, I've personally conducted hundreds of primary expert interviews, and I've read or listened to more than 10 times that many using their searchable on-demand transcript database. I simply couldn't imagine making an investment or critical business decision without consulting the knowledge that's captured in their platform. So whether you're a professional investor, corporate development executive, or just someone who's looking for expert insights, give Tegas a try by visiting tegas.com. If you'd like to receive more Unlimited Partners content, then please sign up for our private podcast feed. You can do that by visiting our website or by hitting us up with a Twitter DM. We plan to use this feed for releasing longer form, uncut episodes, live recordings, and experiments with the types of interviews and content that we produce. This is the legal disclaimer part. Unlimited Partners is not investing advice. The host and members of Unlimited Partners may have a position in the securities discussed. Please do your own research. Amanda, how are you? Hello, how are you? Hello. I am wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. I was listening to some of the interviews that you've given, some of the interviews that Adam's given, going back through, you know, just some of the companies that you guys have invested in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, Getting to talk to Amanda about, you know, who she is, what Plus Capital is about, relating kind of your superhero powers, uh, how they work, and then applying them in an environment like now. I mean, hell yeah! Like that's a that's a fun that's a fun conversation to have for one, and it's also something that, like, as an investor, I feel I feel like I'm I'm doing my job at the same time. So yeah, this is an exciting time at Plus, and so. Uh, so it's been, it's super cool that I get to talk to you right now. I, I really mean that. So maybe like just kind of starting off questions. Like I, I know that we've talked in the past about your background playing soccer in college. And I think that that has informed who you are. I mean, I think you've made the comment like, I, yeah, I really relate with other collegiate athletes. So I don't know if that's a good place to start, but 
one of the things that I really want to accomplish with this series of discussions is like exploring like who the real person is. It kind of, it kind of frustrates me <laughs> when I was here, like, Oh, like I, you know, I went to business school here and I did, you know, two years at McKinsey and that, like, that's the basis. Like, no, fuck that. Like you <laughs> are not like, maybe some people are that, but like, I'm sure not one of those people. And I feel like most others aren't. So anyways, like, with that long preamble, like, yeah, like, it, you mind introducing yourself? No, not at all. Um, it is funny, too, because I think particularly when we're interviewing prospective new candidates to join the team at Plus, they ask, you know, what was my path to getting into venture? And how did I weasel my way into such a cool role, or at least one that I think is very cool? Um, and it all happened by happenstance in some instances, like I never sought out to go work in the world of venture capital specifically. And I'm so grateful that I ended up falling where I did. But um, so I grew up in the Bay Area, um, just outside of San Francisco in a town called Tiburon. And as you mentioned, I grew up playing soccer competitively and ultimately went to UC Berkeley and walked on to the soccer team there. And so to say that I played soccer is a little bit of a liberty because, yes, I was on the team and, yes, I got a little bit of playing time. But I, I certainly wasn't the star of the team in any way, but uh, in some ways very grateful for the experience of not having been the star of a Division One team because of what it instilled in me. I think a lot of kids and teens growing up when you're really, you're a strong player in whatever sport or field um, in which you participate in, you become accustomed to being really good and being very successful. And so then to be thrown into an environment where everybody around you is just as good, if not much better in my case, is a really, really humbling experience to your point, but also a really cool way to think about personal progression and humility because you have to try and work so much harder to force what are otherwise maybe natural talent in terms of your sort of raw athletic ability to be, be able to put in the work more than anybody else just to be able to keep your head afloat. But at any rate, um, I love my- I'd love actually in that, I, like, I think that's awesome. When you showed up, at a real a top tier school to play in a great soccer program and you recognize like oh shoot everybody here is way better than me at a lot of stuff how did you like how did you deal with that how did you think about well okay then what do i have to offer like i'm not going to be x y and z but i can show up in these other ways yeah um i think thankfully um i had i went into playing on the team knowing that i wasn't going to be the best out there. Obviously, I hadn't been recruited by Cal in the same way that my teammates had been since they were sophomores in high school. Like I had been recruited to other schools with less impressive soccer programs. And so I understood the process, but um, I came into it knowing that I wasn't at the top of their list and that I was basically just like lucky to have a spot and to be able to continue playing the sport that I loved so much and do so in a competitive way. But ultimately what I figured out after, at least after my first season where, you know, a lot of freshmen don't play and that's pretty standard, but into my sophomore year when a lot of my peers started playing more and I wasn't getting that much playing time, but you know, you still practice and you still train just as much and just as hard as everybody else. You realize that you do have to bring something different to the table. And, and sometimes it's just work ethic. Like I was never technically that great at soccer. Like my footwork was never the best on the field ever, but I worked really hard and I, and I ran really, I ran a lot and I would train extra with respect to my fitness. And so um, they used to joke around, there was this game on Saturdays where if you didn't play at least 45 minutes in the game on Friday, then you were subject to playing in what was called 
scrub cup lovingly on Saturday mornings, sort of in between the Friday and Sunday games. Um, and I busted my ass in scrub cup. Like I, it was like my time to shine a little bit because all the starters are sitting on the sidelines, getting massages and ice baths and all that stuff, preparing for the next day's game. But, but the Saturday scrub cup, scrub cup was the time that I really could use all the energy that I didn't get to expel on Fridays. Um, and there was one Saturday in particular where I really went off in Scrub Cup and um, they ended up naming a game after me. I think it was called like the Groves game or something um, because I was just hustling so hard. And so it's a little bit of like grit and determination and acknowledgement that even if your raw skill isn't necessarily there, there is a lot you can overcome by virtue of your work ethic and determination to add value in some capacity. That's awesome. One of the things that I think about a lot as I reflect on like, holy shit, like <laughs> I, I really enjoy my life. Like I, I'm very fortunate in many, in many ways, humbly, like, well, I, I got, I got here, wherever here is, or like, I'd like to think that it's more about like the direction that, that you're going in. Um, but nonetheless, like, I feel like I've had a bunch of mentors and for me, what you're talking about, I'm just thinking, oh yeah, that that's Rudy. Like that for me as a Midwest Catholic kid <laughs> was Rudy, like finding that inspiration out there. And like, as a white dude, in this case, like being a dude, mm -hmm. like I feel like the framework for that is just like laid. And all you have to do is just like stitch together a couple people that you want to be like, and then, and then just go, go be it. Did you have any like inspiration or role models that you kind of, because I feel like that, like that probably went back to you as like a little girl where you were just a, a hustler. Like, how did you become a hustler? Um, that's a great question um, that I wish I had a better answer to, but I think I'm just really grateful to have been surrounded by a lot of badass women my entire life. Like my dad was one of four and had three sisters and I had a sister and my mother in the house. And so it was just like constantly surrounded by women. And, um, in some ways I think like my dad helped me become the hustler talking to me about work ethic and always trying your best. And even if you're not sort of technically the best, like still giving it your all. And I think that given that he grew up with sisters and then lived in a house with three women, he was always very, um, supportive of sort of the female journey. I don't know that I had a female role model specifically with respect to sports that I went out to sort of emulate their behavior. Um, but I just think that I, particularly in the workplace actually too, which we can talk about later, um, was just always surrounded by really awesome women. And thankfully where I grew up had an amazing soccer program and other sports programs, not only at the high school and middle school, but in the club setting as well, that really fostered the development of women as athletes and as human beings, which was, was a really cool place to sit. That's really cool. One of, one of my like dream interviews in the next couple of seasons is this woman, Katie Sowers. Um, she was the first woman to, in the NFL to be a coach in the Super Bowl. So she's from Kansas city and she was a trainer, I believe. And anyway, she worked at the gym um, where I worked out in my early twenties. And I just kind of always saw her as like a, you know, a again, like another a hustler, honestly, like I'm use that word again here, but, um, just somebody that, you know, you just kind of get a sense and you respect their work ethic. And then I went to a, an MLS, uh, soccer game and she was celebrated on the field for, for, I think at the time, maybe the first or second female coach in the NFL. And, um, anyways, no, just like the, the, I, I think, I think yeah, having that introduction and, and seeing how somebody can go and, and do something that, that no one has ever done before. And then 
I don't know, just there's something cool in there to, to be to be unpacked. So you worked at, at, I don't know, did you go straight from undergrad to JP Morgan? Like I know that you were at JP Morgan when you met Adam. I, I'd just love to kind of hear your pre plus capital kind of career dynamics of like continuing that hustler mindset yeah. and how it put you in the spot to, to jump for, uh, for, for plus. Yep. Um, well, definitely did have to hustle to get the job at JP Morgan in the first place, which was my first role outside of my undergrad. Um, so I was in the Haas School of Business undergrad program at Berkeley. And long story short is I started my career in JP Morgan San Francisco office, um, worked with actually a really badass chick, the chick um, that I worked for, who was an analyst that was teaching me how to become an analyst was so stellar. Anyways, it was an incredible training program, really amazing team in San Francisco. But um, having grown up in the Bay Area and gone to school there and then started my career there, I really wanted sort of a change of scenery and to shake things up a little bit. And so I transferred from J.P. Morgan in San Francisco down to their Los Angeles office where I joined an investing team focused on investing on behalf of endowments, foundations and other institutional investors, which I found to be really, really interesting. Like we got to look across a number of different asset classes, work with very sophisticated investors um, to build out their portfolios, not only with respect to asset allocation, but manager selection. And, and that's where I started to dip my toes into sort of private equity in the venture landscape and helping some of our clients with their direct co-investment opportunities or private equity or venture manager selection. And I, I really loved it. Uh, I will say that working market hours on the West Coast is a very bizarre social experiment, um, but another good testament of um, having to just sort of conform to what's expected of you and, and be able to execute, even if that means being in the office at 5.30 in the morning or whatever it was. Um, and still to this day, my team thinks I'm fully a terrorist because I am sending off emails at 5.15 in the morning. But again, <laughs> we can get to that another time. But ultimately, it was at um, J.P. Morgan in Los Angeles where I was introduced to my now partner, Adam Lilling, who's the founder of Plus Capital. And a colleague of mine at J.P. introduced me to Adam. She was a friend and, and I think a co-investor in some of his prior businesses and basically said, you know, Adam has this incredible idea He's really on to something in terms of leveraging high-profile artists and athletes in the world of venture capital. But he's very much a one-man band and, and would really benefit from having some additional support on his team. Like, are you open to chatting with him? And um, I think I arranged for coffee with him the next day and then put in my two weeks notice the day after that. Um, and we've been together ever since building what is today a, a team of eight or nine people at Plus Capital. And it's been such an incredible journey to help build on this idea and this thesis that he had so long ago and really institutionalize the process with respect to celebrity venture capital advisory and um, venture capital sort of fund deployment alongside our artists and our athletes where we feel like we get unfair access or economics. I'd love to ask, like, so when you, when you met Adam and, and you're, you're ruminating on this idea of plus, like what, 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 what questions were you asking? Like, what worldview were you kind of running this idea through? And, and which is kind of another way of asking like then and also now, what kind of an investor are you? Were you? I, I think that there's something really interesting about the, the power of, of what Plus can, can accomplish. But if, if not managed correctly with kind of all of the right personalities, companies, investors, you know, top down kind of thematic sense of where the world is, it could also go just like horribly awry. I mean, this could be the equivalent of like 
all, I mean, <laughs> maybe I said another way, uh, it's not uncommon at all for, for many performers to have very bad financial outcomes. And, and it's not for lack of, of trying from a lot of, a lot of smart people. So like, what was your, you know, lens that you kind of received plus into and kind of like, how do you describe your like worldview as an investor? Um, I think what drew me to plus originally is still something that's pervasive today, which is in the context of a manager selection background where all you're doing all day is talking to incredibly intelligent GPs about why they're able to get into the best deals out there and affect meaningful outcomes for those companies on behalf of their LPs. A lot of those conversations about what the value add is and what their edge is all kind of started to sound the same, even though a lot of these managers are top quartile, top decile managers in their respective fields. Everybody's point always was about access, right? And then it was about how do you change the trajectory for the underlying portfolio company by virtue of your personal involvement or experience or your platform team or whatever it was. Um, and I just felt like that pitch was so consistent and in some ways monotonous that the only reason to invest in the world of venture capital, as you think about sort of the opportunity set across other asset classes, given the dispersion of return within venture in particular, is if you are going to invest in or invest with the top managers in the world, because if you're not investing with the best in class managers, then there's probably a better risk and return uh, dynamic in another asset class. And so it was so different about what Adam's conversation and what his pitch was, was we as advisors to celebrity have a really interesting spot in which we can get into the best deals alongside the best managers where everybody else is cut out. And the reason that we're able to get into those deals is because the value that celebrity can bring to an underlying portfolio company is distinctly different and arguably far more capital efficient than any other pure play financial investor out there, which is to say that celebrities have an incredible audience and influence over that audience. And then if you can harness it in the world of venture capital, you can really move the needle with respect to things like customer acquisition or brand awareness or business development. Um, and so as advisors to 70 plus high profile artists and athletes and having connectivity with the top GPs in the world, we sit in this place where we are at a really cool intersection of influence, of power, and also of the best opportunities within the world of venture capital. And so now let's just institutionalize that process of in some ways connecting the dots, filtering through what is a, a pretty remarkable opportunity set to cherry pick the best deals from the best managers. And that's what was so compelling, which is to say there's so much dry powder right now in the world of private equity and venture capital. And that was the case a couple of years ago too, although it's been exacerbated over the last couple of years. And so if you're going to create outsized returns in this asset class, you've got to be really judicious about the opportunities um, and make sure that you're in the best of the best. And in partnering with these high profile artists and athletes, we've been able to sort of hack our way into what looks like almost like a best in class opportunity fund or even the reverse of a funds of funds where we're cherry picking the best deals alongside the best managers and bringing something really unique to bear with respect to the celebrity's value add and managing that relationship with the celebrity in those investments along the way to help with whatever the 
underlying portfolio company really needs. And so to sort of boil down what was really interesting was to figure out how to differentiate both with respect to access and value add. And I think we've really honed in on a process at Plus that enables us to do that repeatedly. I think that was really well said. Um, it really kind of articulated back to me why why I was so excited when 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 we met. Um, because like you, I've I've also sat in on many, many pitches. And the thing is, it's not that I doubt the the truthfulness of of what someone's telling me in terms of the work that they put in. I see the returns and I like I the scoreboard is there, the, the proof is is demonstrated. But as an investor, wrapping your head around like, okay, well, past performance not indicative of future returns. Yeah. Like, how do I really invest in something that I that I think is real, is differentiated? Maybe it's also that I'm just like very impressionable by the, the actors and actresses and, and athletes and musicians that I've grown up with. Maybe that voice in my head is louder than others, but like, eh, I don't actually think that's the case. I think it's really cool. <laughs> um, can you kind of walk through like, how does, how does plus capital work? I don't know if there's a way of chronologically kind of, a, you know, talking about how you as assemble the matchmaking of a personality with capital and desire for involvement with the right opportunity. Maybe just sharing a little bit of like how this really cool sausage is made. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think first and foremost starts with us internally at Plus thinking about the sectors of interest that we think are going to be smart places to invest financial capital over the next five to seven years based on sort of a broader macro view of where there might be interesting secular tailwinds to take advantage of. Um, and we've decided that those themes in particular, at least for the next five to 10 years, are health and wellness, um, sustainability, the conscious consumer, the future of work and future of education. And then in parallel, having conversations with each of our um, artists or athlete clients to understand where their passions and interests lie um, and see where they overlap in terms of what we think is a really appealing investable universe. And so we have this cool um, sort of CRM system that's managed by the platform team, as you alluded to, that canvases who all of our clients are, what their underlying psychographics and demographics are of their um, audiences, what their passions and interests are, and how they like to engage with prospective portfolio companies in terms of you know, what levers do they want to use? Is it um, social media amplification? Is it other press awareness? Is it creative um, involvement? Is it showing up to events? Like there is a whole swath of different ways in which celebrities can participate and they're all bespoke and different to each individual. And so managing um, not only an understanding of their passions and interests and how they map back to investable categories, but also understanding what it is they like to do with their portfolio companies is, is important. Um, and then with respect to sourcing great opportunities for all of us to invest in, um, we spend most of our time within the GP community and building really great relationships with um, sector-specific experts across consumer, across climate tech, across healthcare, whatever it might be, finding the partners at the funds that we think have the best track records and experience and therefore hopefully the best deal flow going forward within those subcategories. Um, and then once we've identified those great GP relationships to better understand, you know, what is the winner within your portfolio right now and what challenge are they facing? And is that something that a celebrity might be able to help with? Like, is it 
is talent the biggest problem right now? And so is having a McConaughey or somebody do your town hall to get all of your employees really invigorated about being part of the team uh, a good use of time? Is it um, business development and having a high profile athlete join a sales call or a sales meeting in person to make sure that you get the key stakeholders in attendance and paying attention? Um, is it something as simple as customer acquisition and creating content on social media for an audience that is exactly the audience that the brand wants to target? And so all of these different factors come into play with respect to sort of sourcing and, and matching or identifying who the most authentic, most appropriate fit is within the celebrity collective for a given business. Um, and then not only is our platform team helping to sort of manage and identify who the right partners are after we've completed our due diligence from a financial perspective, um, but they're also facilitating the relationship thereafter and thinking through what are the right deliverables to create a return on influence for those companies um, and how do we manage and track the outcomes associated with the celebrities' participation so that it's more repeatable going forward? Um, and I do think that that's our special sauce at Plus. I think we're very, we're very lucky in that we have a lot of great deal flow at our fingertips. And so being able to filter through the noise and identify the best ones is what our investment team is, is honed in on. But our platform team and managing and structuring these celebrity partnerships and measuring their impact ultimately is what makes this repeatable and hopefully makes us great partners for more portfolio companies in the future. That's awesome. Um, with your, uh, with your personalities, how do you kind of like, I think about that as an asset management exercise where your personality, you know, it's, it's the, the, the Jay-Z line of like, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man. And, <laughs> and so like you're managing that kind of, you're, you're helping manage that kind of business for these personalities. Could you just talk about like, what, what, what does that mean? I mean, I, I, I think that for me, it's kind of fundamentally like a, a scarcity versus abundance situation where, you know, a Matthew McConaughey or Ellen DeGeneres can, they can put their name on damn near anything. And if you get lots and lots of distribution, you might end up sacrificing something of quality, scarcity, um, authenticity as well. Like, how do you, how do you work with the personalities to feel like you're both on the same page for what the existing asset is and, and where you guys want to go with it? Yeah, I think ultimately protecting a celebrity's brand and their brand equity is of the utmost importance, which I think is kind of what you're getting at too, right? Like Ellen or Matthew could put their name on hundreds of companies as, as being partners with them, but ultimately it would dilute the value of their participation in subsequent partnerships or investments. Um, and so being very specific about the opportunities by which a celebrity is going to publicly engage with or support a company is really important so that we can continue to have a lot of impact going forward and that it's not just a dime a dozen. Um, so that's, that's sort of one piece of the puzzle um, and then the other thing that we're cognizant of, too, is sort of brand risk outside of just um, the abundance portion. But are these artists or athletes attaching their name to a mission or product or team that, of course, is hopefully doing something that's better for the world or for the beings on it? But is there a risk in their affiliation um, in some capacity? And so generally speaking, we've strayed away from like biotech, for example, or specific healthcare related businesses, because 
if God forbid something were to go wrong, the press is going to um, grasp onto the celebrity as name and their involvement as a little bit of the clickbait. And so being really thoughtful about like, where can these people affect change? What do they want to affect change about? And then how do we make sure that we're protecting the portfolio company and the talent from potentially negative press in the future to the extent something goes wrong? And so that hedge is also um, meaningful. But I think to the, the broader question you asked about sort of building and protecting brand equity for celebrity, like we think about longevity for an artist or athlete with respect to sort of a social currency such that if they quit acting or competing or whatever their craft is tomorrow, have we been able to ingratiate them in the world of entrepreneurship and venture capital in such a way where they can continue to leverage their audience and their influence in the world um, to have a meaningful impact for companies, even if that means not being in the next Marvel movie or Jurassic Park or whatever it is. Um, and so part of the fun thing about what we get to do is introduce these high profile artists and athletes to really incredible entrepreneurs whereby they get to learn from them and also support them. And hopefully then it becomes a, again, a repeatable process going forward where they can hand select five to 10 portfolio companies over a couple of years to support. And as they learn and evolve and grow as individuals, they can leverage those learnings and subsequent investments and partnerships um, in a way that, that may end up being more sustainable than um, the career on the football field or something else, just by means of sort of longevity and, and less physical impact uh, as, as you might have on the field. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break to hear from my good friend, Courtney Hope, founder of My Marketplace Builder, a software as a service platform powering many of the next generation marketplace ideas. Let's talk about My Marketplace Builder. Courtney, what is My Marketplace Builder? So My Marketplace Builder is SaaS software for making marketplaces. With our software, you can get any kind of marketplace idea, whether it's product, service, or rental. Get on the site, sign up for a free trial, and start taking transactions as quickly as the next day. The other uh, part of the marketplace that we do is we also do customizations. So anything from first-time entrepreneurs all the way to Fortune 100 companies, we can go through and we can customize any pieces that you want from our featured library that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of features to choose from too. That's awesome. One of my favorite parts about working with you and, and researching your business is when I get to listen to your customer conversations. Can you talk about some of the customers that you guys work with? Yeah, and that's something that's really exciting to us, the different kinds of marketplace ideas that people come up with. It, it, it really is the future of the world right now. Exactly how Shopify did it with the e-commerce world where people needed to go through and sell their stuff online. We're doing that with the marketplace spots. We have anything from crawfish sourcing uh, for restaurants all the way up to 18 wheeler parts to working with companies like Goodwill. And there's no limits to how you want to grow your marketplace and how do you want to do it or what your marketplace idea is. So the website is mymarketplacebuilder.com. If you have a marketplace idea, then please go check them out. Thanks so much, Courtney. We'll look forward to hearing more from you later this season. Yeah, I can't wait, Thomas. Thank you. One of my favorite topics to to toss around here with like future of work and, and where we are and where we're going is this like labor to capital transition. And so helping the most valuable labor in the world transition that skill set, that insight, that value creation capability into the, the capital side. Like I just 
I think it's really neat. It's, it's, you know, so much of web three hasn't deeply resonated with me, but the, the, again, the notion of I'm a, I'm a businessman, I'm a business, I'm a, I don't know what the, 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 I'm a business woman. Like, I don't know, it'd be like, I'm a, I'm a business chick or some, something, something, <laughs> something like that, of the, the, um, the female variety. But I think that, um, that is, that is the transition that I think a lot of individuals are, are having some introspection about that, that, that you, you are not just the, the, the job, you are the, the content, the character, the, the, the worker, the creator, uh, the contributor, uh, the doer, and um, helping helping to transition that. I just I think that we'll end up having better versions of Disney, better versions of the NBA, NFL, better versions of a lot of things because because at the end of the day, like it's about partnership and being able to go all in and, and feeling like you're ultimately a, a missionary to to all and like a mercenary to none. I love that. That's really it's a really smart approach. I appreciate that. Um, I'd love, I mean, we've, we've talked in the past about like, I'm, I'm, I love storytelling. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for a good story. <laughs> we've talked about some of the companies that you guys have invested in. Would you mind kind of walking through how, how, how an investment works, just kind of the Genesis for, for how I, I think about this as like the, um, the schoolhouse rock, uh, how, a, how a bill becomes a law, uh, section of the, uh, of the discussion. <laughs> I love that. Well, maybe we can walk through a couple of examples um, because they do end up um, originating in a number of different places over time. But one investment that we recently closed, which is a fun one for me to talk about, is a company called Pachama, which operates in the climate tech landscape. And I was introduced to the founder, uh, Diego, by another portfolio company founder of mine, um, Jay Lipman of Ethic Investing, which also sort of operates in the sustainability landscape. But it's been really fun to get to know Jay over the last couple of years. I originally actually knew him personally as a friend while he was at UCLA and I was at Cal. And then when he started Ethic, we started actually formally working together by virtue of one of our clients um, investments in the business and partnership with the company. But at any rate, um, our experience in working with Jay and Ethic proved to be pretty impactful. And so I think, thankfully, we have a lot of entrepreneurs talking about the value of working with Plus out in the world. And he had mentioned it to Diego, the founder of Pachama, and suggested we connect. And, you know, usually you get like an email that's suggesting a call in a week or two. And somehow Diego and I ended up on a text message and then a call that afternoon, which really never happens. Um, but it ended up being quite fortuitous. Diego was telling me about his business, which at the highest level is a marketplace for high integrity forest driven carbon credits that ultimately sells into a number of the top fortune 500 companies as they look to be sort of net zero um, emissions businesses over the next five to 20 years. And I was just blown away by what he had achieved in an industry that otherwise is, is relatively opaque and, and fraught with some sort of inherent issues to the integrity of the underlying credits that these companies are buying. And Diego had a very personal story as to why he was building this carbon credit marketplace and why he was thinking about origination projects and the Amazon and, and elsewhere in terms of reforestation, which I just found to be so compelling. And I knew that we had a bunch of high profile artists and athletes that have spent a lot of time thinking about sustainability and advocating for climate related issues over the years. And so I had no doubt that there would be a very authentic interest and fit across our client base and um, ultimately advocated to Diego for us to invest and to bring some artists and athletes to bear alongside us where 
so far the announcement has been that Ellen DeGeneres and Portia de Rossi are investors um, in Pachama and sort of we're connecting the dots to think about doing something bigger with the company. And then you'll see some exciting news coming up soon. I'm not sure when this podcast is coming up, but um, thinking about using Pachama as a way to offset music tours and other big production events too, which I think is really cool and a fun use case for the brand. But ultimately what Pachama needs most right now is to be able to build brand awareness. And our hope is that high-profile artists and athletes that are passionate about mitigating climate change and finding really elegant solutions for doing so will continue to talk about their investments in companies like Pachama, and hopefully that shortens the sales cycle for them as they continue to grow. So um, that one all came about by virtue of our entrepreneur network, and we'll forever be grateful to Jay and to the ethic team for the introduction to Diego, and we look forward to fostering that relationship going forward. And so in that situation, was there a round that the company was raising at the time? How did you, you know, yeah, structure the, the nature of the investment? Yeah, the company was raising a Series B at the time and candidly sort of was already oversubscribed, if I remember correctly, based on my conversation with Diego. Like they had a lead, they had all their existing investors doubling down um, or trying to get as much parada as they could. And so it definitely took a little bit of convincing with Diego to um, get us to have a seat at the table in their Series B. And I think we were part of a second close, if I remember correctly, because we were a little late to the game in the process. But Diego, thankfully, understood the value that celebrity could have. It doesn't always happen that way. Like while we we do often make a lot of investments at the same time as a round coming together, there are many instances in which we invest well after the fact And that's uh, for a multitude of reasons, but one of them being that oftentimes management teams have more time to think creatively about sort of the marketing tool that is celebrity when they're not also playing Jenga with the allocation requests that they're getting from all these other um, prospective investors. And so in the case of Smart Suites, for example, which is another more recent portfolio company, they weren't raising around when when we invested. They really didn't need the capital. They had engaged in an investment in partnership with TPG back in August of 2020. I personally have been a huge fan of the brand for years, um, eating an egregious amount of their Swedish fish-like candies. Um, But again, that's a story for another time. Um, and so I'd been really familiar with the brand. And, and again, they, they didn't need money. But as they continued to unlock new SKUs, new candy options, new points of distribution, they were interested in bringing celebrity to the table to help them with more brand awareness as they unlocked more doors and Target and beyond. And so we were able to structure a partnership whereby um, Plus and, and a number of our artists and athletes um, invested in the company sort of off cycle, if you will, and are getting actively involved in terms of promotion of new products and gifting and social posts. And, and so we, again, at Plus, we sit in this cool spot where, yes, we, we participate like every other venture capital firm in looking at active financing rounds, but we also, um, because we're not lead investors, we're generally co-investors and generally relatively small checks um, for these early stage companies, we have the ability to look at some things off cycle and, and use that extra time to be really thoughtful around the creative of how to engage celebrity in a way that's going to be particularly impactful. I know that there's a wide range here, but what's a typical investment size for for Plus? What, what size check do you write? I mean, we've talked in the past, you don't have to share here, but kind of how that typically breaks down between the personality. And I think I think that's one thing that's really important here 
that when you make an investment, that the, the personality that's working with the company, they're, they're also making an investment themselves so that you actually are co-investing with the personalities. It's not just kind of an, an equity for presence type situation, just kind of walking through, you know, it's generally a company that's valued at X, raising Y, we're going to be a total check of this. And then it kind of breaks down between the personality and the and the fund. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the, the easiest way to think about it is that typically we're investing in companies that are series B, C, D, which means that their pre-money valuations are anywhere from say $100 million to $2 billion or something. In some instances, higher than that. In some instances, is lower, depending on the type of company, whether it's consumer products, enterprise software, or something else. And so I know that's a wide range and probably not that helpful. But as it pertains to check size, generally speaking, we're somewhere between a 2 to $5 million check all in. Um, and that encompasses the plus participation along with um, the celebrities engagement. And our clients are writing checks that are anywhere from $25,000 to $250,000. As you can imagine, the value of having celebrity involved is certainly not their financial capital. Like in almost every instance in which we're investing, the company doesn't need our money, right? They, they're oversubscribed from somebody else or they're not raising at all, but they're interested in having celebrity to help on other things beyond their financial contribution. And so it is very important to us that the artist or athlete have skin in the game by virtue of some financial check. Um, But really the way that we incentivize alignment between the operator or the company and the celebrity is by equity-based participation, sometimes beyond the investment. And so to your point, a lot of times structurally what happens is there's the celebrity will write a check into the company under our purview, and then we structure some sweat equity on top of their financial investment. And so that's generally in the form of an option grant, but it could be restricted stock or warrant coverage or something else that's tied specifically to initiatives that are going to move the needle for the company, where the celebrity is going to engage in a much more active way than any other investor would. And generally, we're tying sort of the vesting of those sweat equity grants to the specific initiatives so that there's only a change of or an exchange of value if something is being contributed, um, which I think is really important, right? Like I think to pay somebody in equity or cash, like it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, you want to pay them for something that's going to contribute to an outcome. And so for us being able to measure the impact of specific work and then make sure that the celebrity is being compensated for it in a way that's cap table sensitive, but also values what they're putting in um, is, is important. So at any rate, I don't know if that answers the question, but ultimately sort of, Oh, it totally okay, does. Cool. It, no, you, you nailed it. Yeah. You gave me all the, all the structure. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite, and I had to look to see to make sure this was was public. Uh, one of my favorite stories that you shared was last year uh, connecting Prince Harry, uh, the Duke of Sussex, from uh, uh, connecting Prince Harry to Better Up, and where he actually took, and I, you know, not a full time job, I don't expect, but he took a position of uh, chief impact officer. Um, like, could you talk about some of the? I think the storytelling here about. And again, like I, I, I do, um, I'm sensitive to the extent to which that we're like calling out individual names and companies. But I think that when you're placing somebody that we're all very familiar with into an actual titled role in an organization where they're engaging with customers, with talent, 
um, with other investors possibly, but really kind of bringing what they have to offer to a situation um, that like that, that's really cool. I don't, again, goes back to, I don't know of any other funds that are doing this. And so once you make the investment, could you talk about what, what type of involvement engagement, like what it means for, for your personalities and with kind of your coordination to step on a portfolio company's scale? Yeah, it's actually better up is an interesting example, actually, because we, we first invested in the business in December of 2019. Um, and that one was was off cycle. They had closed their Series C in June of 2019 and reopened the round for us to participate because the company was really squarely focused on increasing utilization within their existing customer base. And so getting employees at a LinkedIn, for example, to use the better up service and, and in a way destigmatize the notion of getting professional coaching in a professional landscape. So similar, you know, to therapy, there was always a, like a stigma around getting getting therapy now it's very much mainstream and similarly like executive coaching and at one point maybe implied that there was something wrong or that there was something that you needed to build on but really everyone would benefit from an executive coach and that's in part what what better up is providing to the underlying employees that get to use the service um but at any rate we had this idea about bringing a professional athlete to bear to be an investor and partner in the company and to talk about how impactful having a coach was for him as he um, went throughout his very successful career, that athlete being Sean White, who's um, a three-time Olympic gold medalist and has performed or, or has, has participated in, in many more Olympics over his lifetime, um, which is just obviously so impressive. But he's had coaches his entire life, like since he was 12, I think he's had coaches for nutrition and for um, the tricks and for fitness and for all these other things. And so for him, he's like, you know, I never would have gotten to where I am today without the coaches I had. And I'm so grateful for them and that parallel that you can draw in a professional setting, which is to say that me, Amanda, as a mid-level manager at Amex or something, like I ended up being a much better contributor to the company because I had this coach to bounce ideas off of and think about my career development and my personal development and the construct of this organization actually is really meaningful. So at any rate, we invested in Better Up alongside Sean and then worked with the CEO, Alexi, to do a Better Up Live episode, which is essentially like a live interview between Sean White and Alexi Robichaud, talking about his path to gold and how he overcame resilience and mental toughness and all the things that are really important that Better Up focuses on. And it worked really well. Like the people responded really well to this video and I'll have you to send you a link to it after if you watch it. It's really awesome. Um, but prospective users of better up watched it existing users of better up watched it. It was really great for the company. And so following that recording, we had a conversation with Alexi and he was like, you know, that, that was perfect. That worked really well. Like who else can we bring to bear? Um, and we subsequently brought in another now retired professional athlete, Pau Gasol, um, who's been an incredible advisor to the company and has helped in a myriad of other ways too, particularly with BetterUp's international expansion. And then, as you mentioned, most recently, um, Prince Harry became their chief impact officer. And I think ultimately, like what makes that partnership so meaningful and so fantastic is just what boils down to a really organic mission alignment between what the company is trying to achieve and 
what what the Duke is really passionate about, which is mental toughness. And so it's been really fun to see Prince Harry and Alexi working together to help build awareness and destigmatize um, the notion of coding in a professional landscape and to think about business development initiatives and um, and have even more impact than what BetterUp was already doing. We're so proud of of the team over there. They've done such a great job. That's really awesome. We 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 opened the conversation just kind of acknowledging how rapidly the the investing world has changed over the last few months. Um, what are you what are you seeing? Like what what's what is what is life in the lens of of Amanda Groves looking like right now? What are your portfolio companies asking for? What are the investing kind of velocities that you're looking at? And 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 how you guys are. Um, about to start deploying fund two, I can't wait to to see what you guys build there. What what uh what's looking exciting and 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 timely? Um, well, I'll start maybe first with what's changed. To your point, you use the word velocity, which really strikes a chord because I think last year or even over the last twenty four months, the pace by which portfolio companies are raising additional rounds of capital. Um, or even running a traditional fundraising process was so, so fast. As we've talked about, there was a ton of dry powder out there. There was an incredible amount of appetite for private market investing and therefore a lot of competition for the best sort of class A assets. Um, And so a fundraising process that otherwise would have taken two to three months was compressed to two to three weeks and people were forced to do either less or maybe less robust diligence in order to be able to get into a deal. And now we're seeing, given that the capital markets have changed pretty dramatically, the process or the timeline by which these companies are raising capital is slower than it was before, particularly now we have most of our portfolio companies and and fund one anyway, raised capital last year within the last 18 months. And so they're super well capitalized and now don't need to raise any additional capital. I think one of the other questions for our portfolio company CEOs last year was, hey, if capital is cheap, right? Like if I can take on nominal dilution and bring on another 100 million bucks onto the balance sheet to be opportunistic about acquisitions or international expansion or product development or something else, like why would I not do that right now? And that has dried up a little bit. And so I think, thankfully, a lot of our companies have anywhere from three years to six years worth of runway. And so their intention to raise money in the near term doesn't really exist because they just don't have to. And now they can really hone in and focus on executing against the plan that they set forth that arguably were were pretty aggressive goals. And I think a lot of them are well positioned to do it. Um, So long story short there is that the speed at which companies are fundraising has slowed, which has given us a really nice opportunity to take a breath and be thoughtful about where we want to deploy capital. Although, to be fair, we sort of were able to mitigate some of those um, dynamics last year just by virtue of coming into late into rounds, as we've talked about too, but still worth noting. As we think about sort of the opportunity set for Fund 2 and beyond, I think what's been really cool is that the sectors of interest that we identified in Fund 1 are still investment themes that we think are really interesting for fund two. And so we haven't really shifted gears at all there. If anything, we're starting to see more viable opportunities within the sustainability and climate tech landscape, where a couple of years ago, there were a lot of really interesting business that were just too early stage for us to consider. And now they're getting to a place in their development pipelines that make it palatable for plus and for our clients to help amplify early successes that hopefully will become much more scalable businesses over time. And so we're spending a lot more time now 
in sustainability and climate tech than, than we were before. But health and wellness is still very top of mind for everybody. You know, COVID's not gone yet. And it shined a light on a lot of the health and wellness decisions and resources that we were decisions we were making and resources that were available to us. And I think that's a persistent theme. Future of work is still very much a persistent theme in terms of how do you identify great talent, retain great talent? What benefits are you providing to them? How do you enable them to work from anywhere or do so in a really collaborative way? And what are the tools that are necessary to um, enable what is a really high functioning operation and organization? Um, And so for us, I mean, we're, we're really excited right now, as I mentioned, to have dry powder to deploy into these categories where we already have been spending most of our time. There's not really a pivot here. I think the only pivot that we're seeing now um, or the only really meaningful change is just the pace by which we're deploying capital. And, and it's arguably a bit slower than it was before, which I think is for the best that enables us to dig in uh, a lot deeper into our companies before we solidify the partnership. I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks listening to public company earnings calls. I guess this is kind of the, the like the former hedge fund manager in me. And it seems like, you know, from a fundamentals perspective, it's been really interesting if you're if you're consumer facing, if you're kind of internet advertising related, um, if you had like a, a really abnormal, tough to annualize COVID bump like Zoom or or online medicine, then that's like been really, really rocky. Um, uh, some businesses have performed, have performed quite well. Um, but, but on, but on like, you know, more enterprisey kind of software business purchases, B2B companies, like those seem to be doing pretty well. I don't know if that's like, you know, likely going to change in the near future, but what are you seeing from a, and I don't want to use like a, a stock word, but fundamentals, like what are you seeing in your portfolio companies right now? Um, I think you're right. Like a lot of our enterprise SaaS companies are still on an absolute tear. And so while their public market comps from a valuation perspective are being compressed a little bit, that doesn't necessarily speak to the underlying fundamentals of the business, which is to say that their ARR is growing in a meaningful way. They're continuing to improve their net revenue retention with existing customers. Um, and the sales pipeline for prospective customers has gotten shorter in some instances. They've really professionalized the sales operation of those companies. And ultimately, it's because the product that they're providing is something that people need or something that organizations or big institutions need. Um, and they're filling that hole, right? Like if you can't explain what it is that you do and what service you're providing and why it's differentiated relative to everything else. It doesn't matter what the valuation is, right? Like you shouldn't be able to sell that anyway. Um, and so we're seeing with companies like better up, like Lyra health, like, um, shelf engine or home base, for example, like all of these SaaS businesses are still doing an exceptional job as they continue to sell into big organizations and retain those customers and improve their product along the way. So thankfully no, no big, uh, no big surprises within the portfolio this far. That's really awesome. Um, Amanda, I, this has been a great conversation. I've, I've relearned a lot about, about you and about plus, um, one question that I, I asked an earlier, uh, interview guest, it was Brent Bishore. And I uh, said to him, like, you've, you've accomplished things to be proud of up to now in your life. Um, so in order to continue to like have that, that scrappy hustler mindset, it's, it's finding like, what am, what am I running towards? Like, what's, what's the journey that I'm, uh, what's the tree that I'm going to climb next? 
Um, so kind of like an off off script question, but um, and if you if you're like Thomas, you you can't spring this on me. Like, <laughs> you know, as you look at Plus and as you look at kind of your career and this being something that it's really I don't I genuinely don't think this is about money. This is about um, autonomy and, and purpose. Like, what are some of the things that you're working on, excited about that five years, ten years from now you're going to think are the things that are 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 kind of keeping you moving? That's a great question. Um, maybe it's just because it's top of mind right now, but I think one of our, one of my personal core focuses is continuing to scale plus. I think as I mentioned earlier, sort of Adam was a one man band for a very long time. And then when I joined him in 2016, it was the two of us for a long time. And we've slowly added a number of amazing team members to our, our family. Um, and as we continue to grow, like, how do we scale us? How do we scale this institution such that we can continue to invest in and partner with companies that are better for the world and for the beings on it is of the utmost importance. And it can't just be me and Adam managing relationships with entrepreneurs and with talent because this that won't scale forever. And so how do we hire really exceptional individuals with an incredible amount of EQ and IQ to not only be able to identify best in class companies, but also manage the relationship between the celebrity and the portfolio companies and make sure that there is authentic fit and really continue to make what we do scalable by virtue of hiring at the, at their core, really, really good human beings that happen to be really intelligent and thoughtful is sort of my core focus. And so if I could look back in five years and be really proud of anything, it's not going to be performance of any one portfolio company or even one fund for that matter. It's about building a firm that's resilient and persistent and has um, a team of people that are really thoughtful, really intelligent, um, and really a pleasure to work with, both with other investors, founders, um, and our celebrity fans. And so um, as we open up the floodgates to hire a couple of more people, if you have any great um, introductions for talent, we'd love to have them. Yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I think whoever whoever joins there is is gonna be considering themselves a, a, a lucky, a lucky guy or gal. Um, one, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, if you think about scaling the plus model, I mean, do you have 10 times as many, I think you guys have what, like 80 or so personalities that you work with now? Yeah, we had, so it's interesting when, um, when I first started, we had like five or six, Ellen DeGeneres was the first, um, then when we launched fund what an, one, what, I, I, I did have a note to like, what an amazing uh, first <laughs> client for Adam to have, have landed that, that is what a cool partnership. Amazing. Yeah. Adam's a dream that way. Like he really, he hit it out of the park with that. I mean, he, I think you knew, you know this, but Adam, when he first started plus didn't, um, go around with plus as a business model. He just had this thesis around high profile artists and athletes and the intersection of how they could engage with the world of venture capital. And so he basically went to a bunch of managers and business managers and entertainment attorneys and just offered to help for free and basically said, you know, your clients are going to be interested in investing in or partnering with venture backed companies at some point, if they're not already. And the traditional sort of Hollywood ecosystem is not particularly well set up to vet those opportunities and to structure those. So let me just help you and like maybe together come up with a business model that works. And that pay it forward mentality was incredibly fruitful for Adam and now for all of us at Plus. 
um, because he offered to help and and had Ellen as the first client. So um, again, we had, we had six or seven to start with at the launch of Fund One. We had 35, I believe, and now we're closer to 70 or so. Um, and so it's been really amazing to build out the roster with just incredible group of high profile artists and athletes, um, that are very entrepreneurially minded and interested in affecting change in the world beyond their core craft. I don't know that, um, I think the sweet spot for us is probably close to the number of clients that we have now. I don't know that we need to represent every single high profile individual for their venture investing and equity based partnerships. Um, but what we want to do or what we aim to do is to work with a great people, b people that are entrepreneurial in spirit and interested in taking equity based risk in this world, um, as opposed to doing, you know, big cash endorsement deals with brands that can pay the fee, but maybe aren't perfectly aligned with, um, their worldviews. Um, and so I think, I think we will continue to scale the celebrity roster over time a little bit, but ultimately, um, scaling plus is about making sure that each of our clients has a number of projects that they're really excited about with various levels of engagement, whether that's, you know, once a once a year type partnership or uh, once a week type of engagement, um, and then facilitating those relationships over time. As you can imagine, there's, there's a little bit of um, human capital that goes into managing those relationships. And so it's less about scaling the quantity of talent we have, but more so scaling the number of portfolio companies in which we engage in and making sure that no matter how many portfolio companies we ultimately end up having, every experience with Plus and with our clients is as high caliber possibly can be. That's awesome. And so scaling it is going to be, it's going to be a large percentage growth from, from here in terms of headcount. But, but these, these next hires, these are going to be, this is, you're, you're bringing in uh, family here, not, not, not customers. Like you're, you're going to be, um, it, it's, it's going to remain more of a, uh, uh, a SEAL team than uh, <laughs> an, an army, which I think makes sense because I think that there really is a power law to the talent, um, like to the value of talent. And so for you guys to focus there, um, I think that that's like where the highest alpha return type, um, fo- yeah, in- investment opportunity is going, is going to be, Absolutely. Um, as you scale, you're, you're, you're going to need some more LPs. Um, presumably like I, I'm, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to be a long-term supporter, but you'll need, Thank you'll you. need, you'll need more, more new, new Thomases out there. Yeah. Um, becoming, becoming fans. What are some of the LPs? You don't need to name them, but like what kinds of LPs have you guys worked with? Uh, what kinds of LPs have you guys worked with? Um, what makes a, a good LP fit for you guys? And then after the investment, are there any ways that you guys have found LPs engage in ways that are helpful? Yeah. Um, so I think our original LP base was largely composed of um, high net worth individuals and family offices, particularly given that you know, we've been investing in the strategy since 2016, but hadn't been doing it through a fund model until we launched Fund One in 2019. And so sort of a lack of a dedicated fund track record precluded us from participating with some of the more institutional LPs, at least in Fund One. Um, And that's evolved now as we get into Fund Two with a slightly larger fund size and more of a track record under our belt. But our our LPs today are a pretty healthy mix of some more institutional style of investors, a couple of foundations, um, and then single and multifamily offices um, and high net worth individuals. 
Um, and to your point, most of our LPs are not entirely passive. A lot of them like to engage with us on co-investment opportunities, particularly where they have um, subject matter expertise with the Lang portfolio company. And we love to be able to connect the dots between our LPs and our companies. So we're not just helping on the celebrity side, but maybe we're also helping with thought leaders um, or experienced executives within a category that's of interest to them. Um, and so we do a lot of that um, matchmaking along the way too, between our LP base and our portfolio companies. Um, and as we think about growing that going forward, you know, like people with um, different geographic exposure or experience is really helpful, particularly as our portfolio companies grow. Um, and again, people that um, co-investors or LPs that have an active interest in participating or helping with our portfolio companies is, is so welcomed. Um, as you can imagine, we, we have a lot of good understanding and connectivity within the entertainment landscape, but the more business leaders and um, people from other geographies or sectors that we have less experience with have been really helpful, not only in helping us identify the companies that we want to be with, but then helping those companies after we've made the investment as well. That is very well stated. That is awesome. I have been interacting with Ryan about, uh, I introduced a, an Asian um, kind of disruptive protein company and um, I have no business doing doing any of this, by the way. I, like I, I've been to Asia once, and I, you know, I, I live in, in in the middle of the country, so like there's only beef here. Um, so this is not really my domain, but just by way of being out, kind of carrying the 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 plus conversation about interesting funds. Yeah. I was, I, the one time I was in in Asia was in Singapore, and 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 talked about you guys and. Oh. Then I got pinged, hey, hey, uh, would you mind forwarding, forwarding this on to Plus? And yeah, I just, I feel like when I'm investing, I'm really just trying to acceler accelerate liquidity um, with the dollars, but then being able to kind of help do that as 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 an actual partner in the business, because that that's what the word is, partner. Yeah. Um, I've just, I've had a lot of fun, of fun doing it and I've, I've learned a lot in the process. Oh, that's so great. Well, we so appreciate your partnership. You've been such an amazing um, addition. I'm glad we were introduced but sometime last year and I'm excited to continue to build a relationship for fun too and beyond. Amanda, thank you so much. I was looking forward to this and it was really fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to see all of the episodes. I'm sure you're going to have an amazing group of guests and I'm really honored to be one of the first. So thank you again. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Unlimited Partners production. The show is edited and produced by Andrew Thomas, and our music was composed by Nick Samaska. Thanks again, and we'll see you guys next week.